to the new John Simmons Show. After years of battling a gambling addiction, John found a hope and a future for his life through Christ. He has spent the last several years encouraging others to find joy, peace, and hope in their lives by walking out God's plan for their lives. Now, John wants to help you find the passion, vision, and faith you need to start writing out God's sentence for your life and help you add to it every day. Phone lines are now open. Call or text 314-880-0808. Now, here is your host, the new John Simmons. Hey everybody, welcome. It's the new John Simmons Show, where you can find God's sentence for your life and become the new you, where we talk about finding passion, vision, and faith in your walk with Christ so that your life can overflow with joy, peace, and hope today. A, a bittersweet day today. It is Wednesday, February 21st. Reverend Billy Graham has died today. He was 99 years old. From USA Today, sort of a obituary of sorts, of sorts describes him as a gangly 16-year-old baseball-loving teen who found Christ at a tent revival and went on to become an international media darling, a preacher to a dozen presidents, and the voice of solace in times of national heartbreak. He was America's pastor. That's from USA Today. What an... I mean, just for a moment. We talk about finding God's plan for your life on this show. We talk about finding God's sentence for your life and learning how to flee from sin and how to share your story with others. So many times has Billy Graham done this in his life. He is a perfect example almost of living out God's sentence for your life. He was true to what God asked him to do. Now, what God asked him to do was touch a whole lot of lives. It said that he spoke to over 210 million people. To have this kind of far-reaching impact is greater than probably any modern pastor or preacher or evangelist that we will ever know, at least while we're alive. Now, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe God's got some people in line, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But as far as the history of the United States and the history of the world, uh, certainly Billy Graham in, in our modern era is easily the revivalist, the evangelist, whatever words you want to put in front of him, pastor, reverend, minister, he was the one who touched the most. God used him to touch the most. It wasn't the great Billy Graham. It was the great God inside Billy Graham. He's gone today. And many of the quotes (laughs) all over Facebook, Graham himself had said, he doesn't think (laughs) that we should mourn him when he's gone. Instead, we should remember that he's at home with the father. I'm very thankful for Billy Graham on this earth. Although I didn't find Christ at one of his meetings, I didn't find a message from him that spoke to my heart about salvation. I know so many that have. If you had an opportunity, if you follow the show on Facebook, and by the way, we're streaming live, the new John Simmons show over on Facebook. You can also catch us past episodes on YouTube. This episode will be up tomorrow. 
Also, the text in line, if you have a comment or a question, you can post it on Facebook or text in to 314-880-0808, talking about Billy Graham and the lasting impact, the lasting legacy of his life, how he touched my life and probably yours. I say this because I just mentioned that I didn't find Christ through Billy Graham, but so many did. I mean, listen, this guy preached in front of 210 million people, and this the, where I'm getting a statistic from, this book is 10 years old, so I'm sure it's even grown since then. Everybody has a personal connection to Billy Graham because even if God didn't use him to touch your life, you know, probably, and most likely, someone who has come in contact or know somebody who was born again at one of his meetings or listened to his radio program and found Christ or watched one of the meetings on television. This man was used by God in such a tremendous way. And I love his story. He found Christ at a revival meeting, much like we pray today for revival to come. He was at a revival meeting and he found Christ as a teen. He went to do youth ministry and God called him to start crusades. And at one point he was uh, in Los Angeles and really started to give up on this idea that these things were doing any good. And, He wasn't seeing the results that he was expecting, and he prayed and asked God if he should stop, and God said, just continue, and within days or weeks, depending on which testimony you read, the revival events that he was hosting in Los Angeles continued to fill and overflow and eventually lasted six weeks, and that was the sort of the beginning, if you would. For those of you who don't know about Billy Graham, and I can't assume that everybody does because I didn't. Billy Graham, to me, was, uh, I mean, I'd heard of him before I found Christ, but I didn't get it. I wasn't around in the 80s and the 90s watching these things happen on TV. I didn't go to any special event. Sort of the recollection I have in my old life was when I was like a sophomore or a junior in high school, Billy Graham stopped by the Trans World Dome the same year that the Pope came. And I cared as much about the Pope being there as I cared about Billy Graham being there, which was hardly at all. If not if not 0%, it was close to it. But now, having found Christ, I came across Billy Graham in sort of a, a special moment in my life. And I've written about this today. Earlier this morning, I, I was just led to think and, and meditate on the life that Billy Graham had and what an awesome encouragement, I mean, we celebrate his life today. This isn't this isn't just mourning. This is celebrating someone who was used by God in a mighty way and how it can encourage us. And here on this show, I want to see your life encouraged to know that, look, even if we don't look like Billy Graham did, we can still do great work like Billy Graham did. We can all do our part in the body of Christ. And some of us might be the next Billy Graham. Some of you might be able to share the gospel in a way that reaches millions of people. So we can look at a life like Billy's and who's had influence across the world with leaders and obviously groups and denominations. And he was able to touch a specific need of the gospel in so many different areas of the world that his ministry will be treasured for years to come, a lasting legacy. I came across Billy Graham Uh, and really found the impact of his ministry in my life when I was going through something in Testimony House. If you don't know, that's the ministry I started back in 2013. God called me to start a ministry where I was going to share my testimony. 
I was going to help teach and train other believers to find God's gifts and talents for their lives and be able to show them how to walk out God's plan for their life. We now call it finding God's sentence. It's evolved in its name, but the the concept and the foundation of why we started this ministry maintains today as it did in 2013. We just use different ways of telling the same idea. And so in 2015, a couple years after I started the ministry, we went through a brief period where we were planning, well, not a brief period where we planned, we were planning a revival event for over a year. And a few months before the revival event was meant to actually happen, we were met with some disturbing news. We were removed from the place where we were going to have our event. Many people involved dropped out or decided not to continue with us. And it was a very heartbreaking moment for me as both a believer and as also the organizer of this event. In my walk with Christ, everything I had done after I stepped out in ministry had really been met with great success. Maybe not by worldly standards, but by standards where I saw my faith being fulfilled. I stopped my paycheck job where I was working at the casino making great money where God said, I need you to quit your job, I need you to start this ministry, and at first it didn't pay any money. But a hundred days in, a miracle check in the mailbox from someone, you say, you ever pray for a miracle check? Well, we were praying that God would supply our needs. And a hundred days into our ministry, exactly 100 days, I know this because God told me to look up what a hundred means in the Bible, and a hundred The number 100 and numbers and names all have meanings attached to them in the Hebrew language and also in the Greek and Jewish culture. So we're able to use these definitions and these ideas to draw more information out of the Bible and let it touch in in so many different ways. The Bible is so much like an onion where you peel back a layer after layer and more of the aroma becomes, obviously it's not pungent like an onion, but you begin to see more. The flavor begins to increase. Things get, get continued to get unlayered where you can read a verse in the Bible one day and get a completely different understanding out of it a week later or a year later. Or you can read a part and say, I never noticed that before. That's the layer of the onion. And so when names and numbers have definitions attached to them, it also allows God, for those of us who are pressing in to find out what these things mean, to mean more to us in our hearts or to learn more about what God is actually doing and to see how God is has his hand in so many things. When God is able to use numbers to say, oh my gosh, those numbers couldn't be a coincidence. We say, instead of coincidence, we say, you can't make that stuff up. When stories show up where you're like, there ain't no way that's real, and the world would call it a coincidence, they'd call it luck, they might call it fate. But truth is, is that God has his hand in everything. And when we see stories that are just too good to be true, or you feel like it's made up, we say, you can't make that stuff up. And so a 100 days into our ministry, we get a letter in the mail from a person we had never met that said, we had heard that you had started this ministry and we wanted to encourage you and God just put it on our heart to sow a seed into your ministry and we want to, you know, support you guys is the paraphrase of this letter that we received and inside was a check that supported our ministry for almost two years. (laughs) Big check. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) What God has done in my life and the examples that I'm able to share with you today to encourage you because I'm not special by the way I'm special to God but I'm not special compared to anybody else because we're all God's children he's created all of us uniquely he's given us all the opportunity to be blessed he's given us all the opportunity to cry out to him in prayer and and receive the blessings and receive the the future that we have 
that he designed for us before we were even born. I'm telling you this because I'm trying to get to the story of when I found Billy Graham and the impact that he had on my life because I didn't get saved in a meeting, but he did have a tremendous impact on my life. And so I'd two years into my ministry, I had had multiple, I mean, many, and I've shared them in the book Finding Faith, my first book, and I've shared them on the air multiple times. And if you've heard me speak in person, I share these testimonies often of the, the trail, the evidence of God being in my life after I quit my paycheck job to be in a full-time ministry and the opportunities that he's opened and doors that no man could have put there, but he continued to put there. And as I faithfully walked through them, God allowed the next door to be opened, the next door to be opened. I work here at the radio station that's broadcasting the show, and I work here because someone read my book and then called me on the phone and said, hey, do you want to work for me? Can't make that stuff up. You can't make that stuff up. God has a plan for my life, and he also has a plan for your life. And when I was hosting, trying to host this revival meeting and things had been sort of falling apart, people were leaving, we lost the building, we lost the place we were going to have this event. Our very first big event that we were planning, and we had been believing for it for a long time, we had been standing on multiple words and, and standing on God's word that said the gospel needed to be shared, and everything in the natural seemed to be falling apart. Nothing seemed to be working out like we planned. And so I, to be honest with all of you, to know that we all go through things, I was going through a very difficult season in my life, a very difficult time where my faith in God was not questioned, but sort of wondering, not where God is. I knew God was real. I knew Christ had died for me. I wasn't giving up that thought, but I was really wondering if I was doing something wrong if I needed to do something different, if I had my foot in the right direction, if the vision that I had for my life, and I was teaching people to have vision, still am, and I had cast this vision out for this revival, I'd shared it. As we talked about on last night, it's important to share your vision with other people. I'd shared it with many people. And everything had fallen apart, so I went through a very intense sort of conversation with God, God, where are you? I need you to show up here. Or I don't know how I can continue. And I was, I mean, to call it desperate, I don't know if that's the right word or not, but I was at a very uh, sinking point in my ministry. I was really just considering quitting or who knows what, but I, I, in my heart, I was very upset, not with God, just with, I was believing for something and it wasn't happening. It was at, around this time that I came across a book not by Billy Graham, but about Billy Graham. It was called Billy Graham, God's Ambassador. And if you're live on the stream, I'm going to show you the cover of the book. This book is uh, incredible. It's uh, about 200 pages. I mean, this book is heavy. It weighs, a, I don't know, a few pounds or something. It's this, this is high-quality, high-stock photographs of the ministry of Billy Graham. It includes lots of anecdotes about who he spoke to, what he spoke about, the course of his ministry, the people that were involved, the behind-the-scenes pictures of things that were going on. And inside this book, it, it shares sort of the story of the Los Angeles revival that I was talking about earlier in the show and how you know Billy had the same moment that I seemed to be experiencing. But he continued to believe and press into God, and he saw the fruit of it. 
And so in that moment, I decided that I was going to press on and believe for things to happen. And all of a sudden, in a one-week time period, I received a phone call from a man who said he wanted to come speak at our revival that would draw a crowd. I got a, I got an invitation to a church that led to an opportunity to speak at multiple other churches. And by the end of it, we had almost, I think, nine churches involved with the revival that weren't involved prior to us seeing it fall apart at the other building. So our revival event was about to go down in flames. We stopped and we prayed and we pressed into God, and all of a sudden, a door started to open that nobody else could have imagined. Not certainly me. In our very first revival event, the third day into it, we quadrupled or maybe even tenfold had our attendance rise on the third day. And it wasn't because we had found a new way to promote it. It was because God drew the people in. And in that sermon, in that message, I was able to share my testimony with the largest crowd up to that point that I'd ever shared it with. And I gave a gospel message, and we saw many lives call out to God and ask to be forgiven and ask for repentance and ask for salvation. An incredible testimony of continuing to do what God's asked you to do, even if it's hard, even if it's struggled. The first two nights were not sold-out events, and it's easy to look at those first two nights, much like Billy looked at his revival events early on and said, where where are you, God? Are you here? Am I doing the right thing? These are often questions that many of us have. And so even though Billy didn't touch my life in the form of salvation, Billy Graham absolutely touched my life. And when I was able to see this book, God's Ambassador, in addition to just encouraging me with my own revival event, man, there is something to behold when you see the pictures and you see the images of stadiums and Central Park and fields across the world filled, I mean, to the brim and overflowing with people who were there to hear Billy Graham speak. And you wonder, how on earth did they organize these things back then? How did they have so many people there to hear about Jesus? I can't imagine such an event. I've never seen one in person. I mean, the the closest thing that I've seen in person is maybe 20,000 people at the Scott's Trade Center to see Joel Osteen or maybe to go to Winter Jam. Those are like the biggest. Joyce Meyer had an event down at the Trans World Dome recently, and I don't know how many people were there, but those are sort of the largest things that I can personally think or to know about that have happened here in St. Louis since I've been a Christian. But I see in this book that Billy Graham for decades were speaking to millions of people. I mean, the number that I started with 210 million people he's spoken to. He has certainly touched a lot of lives. I want to continue our conversation about Billy Graham. We're mourning his passing, but also celebrating his life and his return to heaven. And so we're just thankful for all of you for listening today. When we come back, I want to share a clip from Billy Graham's trip here to St. Louis in 1973, as well as give a background for some revival events that he was part of here in St. Louis that had a tremendous impact on our city. So don't go away. You're listening to the new John Simmons Show, part of the Testimony House Network. Want to start writing or add to God's sentence for your life? What's to learn what that means? Visit newjohnsimmons.com for articles and videos that can help you find a future and a hope for your life today. Now, back to the new John Simmons Show. Listen, everybody wants change. Don't 
We're back here on the program, New John Simmons Show, part of the Testimony House Network. If you would like to stay connected with the program, all you got to do is search over on social media for the New John Simmons Show or check me out at New John Simmons. Trying to become the new me, you try to become the new you. We'll get connected on social media. We'll be able to follow the show, keep up to date with all the current events and things that we're doing behind the scenes. Talking about Billy Graham's life today, he passed away earlier at 99, earlier today. Billy Graham's gone from us, but he... Uh, says, do not do not be sad because he is with the Lord. So uh, he's been saying that for years, and now it is upon us that that quote of his is finally true. I want to talk about Billy Graham's some stuff he did here in St. Louis. I don't know what the best word to describe it. Some, the crusades, I guess, that he had here in St. Louis. And more than that, I want to talk about the revival of St. Louis, something that if you've heard me on the air for a long time, we used to have a show called Let's Change St. Louis that talked about the revival and believing for the revival of this city, and we're still believing for these things. God has done great works here in the city of St. Louis, and we want to see it continued here. Even after Billy Graham's gone, we want to see the ability for large-scale evangelistic efforts and outreach to take place, not just here in St. Louis, but for us who live here, it would be a great place for it to start or be a part of something great. This is the last outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the Bible talks about, this great awakening. We're believing for these things to take place soon, and if not, if they already haven't started, I want to talk about the revival events that took place 20 years apart or so that Billy Graham was a part of. If you go back to the 1890s, I've researched revival in, in St. Louis quite extensively. I know that back in the around the 1890s, we see that a man named Bishop Enoch Marvin began what is called the St. Louis Campground Association. And through this association, he got connected with many other believers in the area. And they had a revival event every year right around the area of St. Charles Rock Road and 170. They purchased a plot of land there. It was the first interstate, to my historical knowledge that I've read, it was the first interstate uh, off-ramp. And you would take the rock road down to the river, and then you would take a ferry across the river if you were heading west back in those days. So a revival took place around that area for about 20 years. Every year, they were having these large-scale outreach events where everybody would sort of stop uh, on their way west, and they would camp out, and they would live and uh, there for a short amount of time, and they would get sort of prepared to cross the river and go even further. And so they built this revival event that people could praise the Lord and worship God while they were there and find salvation if they hadn't already. And so many people continued to come to this revival for so many years, and the population of these revivals grew to as much as 20,000 a year. Now imagine 20,000 people. We just talked about showing up to the events that might take place at a stadium, but these were guys in the 1890s and the early 1900s who were just in wagon and on horses on their way west. And yet, here they are stopped for a revival event without radio advertisement or TV ads or tickets to sell. So those events started in the 1890s. I need to get through this because I want to share this clip with Billy Graham. So every 20 years or so, we saw, historically in St. Louis, revival events spring up. Billy Sunday came in the 1920s, and then we see here in 1953, Billy Graham shows up for the first time 
here in St. Louis. He goes to the Keel Auditorium, and he has a, a crusade that lasted a month. Every day for a month. People were showing up to the Keel Auditorium as the Billy Graham Ministries began to have night after night of messages sharing the gospel, sharing the testimonies of people who had found Christ, being there to disciple and to teach people what to do next, and all sorts of things went on at these events. But they were here for a month at the Keel Auditorium, and they called it the St. Louis Revival. I love this name. We used this name for our own revival back in 2015, and we had no idea that Billy Graham had called his the same thing. Now, it's obviously not a very original name. I get that, but it's it's neat to me that we both sh- pick the exact same name. There's many things you can call something, especially some sort of revival event, not necessarily the entire revival of St. Louis, but he came here every 20 years, so he came three times. And I, I use the word 20 sort of, it's incorrect. <laughs> he came... He came in 1953, he came again 20 years later in 1973, and then he came again 16 years later in 1999. Billy Graham has brought his crusade, in which he called the St. Louis Crusade the next two times he was here, by the way. So the very first time he was here, he called it Revival. The next two times he showed up to town, it was a crusade. Each time he spent less time here, but there's something telling about what took place at his at his revivals that I wanted to bring up. So he was here for a month in 1953 with the St. Louis Revival. And in that month's time, we saw about three, according to their records, the Billy Graham Ministry records, the attendance at those events totaled 318,000. 318,000 St. Louisans who went through the turnstiles of the Keel Auditorium for a month here in St. Louis. They gave an altar call every night and the number of people who came forward to give their lives to Christ was right around 3,000. You're like, why isn't it more? <laughs> God is moving, and, and there only 10% answered the altar call at these events. So 318,000 people are showing up. They're hearing the gospel message, and only about 10% are giving their lives to Christ. Now, whether it means that everybody else was saved or that the people who were not saved didn't go forward, there's what I do know is that that's why it's difficult to find God's plan for your life because hearing the gospel message is not always all it takes to find Jesus. We could hear it a lot of times. I had heard that Jesus was my savior many times before I found Christ at 29. None of those times beforehand did I ever believe it. When he came back though, in 1973, he was at the St. Louis arena and instead of being here for a month, he was here for nine days. During that event, the attendance totaled 225,000, so about 100,000 less than the first event, but they were only here a third of the time. And in that revival event, at their altar calls over the nine days, almost 6,000 people gave their life to Christ. What an incredible testimony. He was here for a month, and 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ he comes back 20 years later, half or you know, uh, 200 and something thousand people show up and double the amount give their lives to Christ. All right, I like this. I like to see how it's trending. <laughs> he came back in 1999, same year that the Pope came to the Trans World Dome. Billy Graham was there as well, and at that event, he was only here three days, just the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 
200,000 people were at the Transworld Dome. And more than 12,000 people gave their lives to Christ. This is Billy Graham's impact on this city. I could share great numbers over the course of his ministry, but if you want to get into the deep pockets of what happened here in St. Louis, how did his ministry touch this city? How can we stand here today and go, man, he really was something special. He came back year after year, believing that God would have a revival here in this city. He quotes, I I have a quote here from him at one of the revival meetings. He says, one of the great problems we face here in St. Louis is that our arenas have not been large enough. Even though they're larger than Madison Square Garden in New York City, he says there has been a tremendous outpouring of people in St. Louis, and we have seen God do great and mighty things as hundreds of people every night come to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. He spent his entire life sharing the gospel with people, including those of us here in St. Louis. Many people were saved at these events, or maybe your family was, or your friends were, or your grandparents or their parents. There were people around in St. Louis when these things took place. So Billy Graham's touched my life in many ways, and he's also probably touched yours in some way. Even if it wasn't you directly who was touched by it, he has touched the lives of so many. And we are still believing for revival here in St. Louis. We're still believing that God's going to do a mighty work of God. Many have said and many have prophesied that sort of Billy Graham's the last of the old guard, Oral Roberts and the like, who have all passed away. And there's thoughts that once Billy Graham was going to leave, and you can hear this on multiple sources, talking about how another great wave of the Holy Spirit's going to fall, not because Billy Graham has earned that praise, but because this is just another way for the outpouring of the Spirit to come. When someone like this dies, it brings our attention to Christ, and maybe some other people find Christ through this process, and maybe the conversations that were stemming around his life. Who knows? I don't know God's plan. I don't know if any of it's true. I can just tell you that the man has died. He's done a lot of great work, and let's celebrate what he's done and also rejoice in knowing that we can be used by God in the same way. It's not about just saying, man, he's done a great job. It's about what are we doing for Christ. These revival efforts can really transform our city, and they have over the course of the years. But Billy Graham is not going to be here anymore. So who's going to pick up the torch here in St. Louis? Who's going to stand with one another and say the revival is still taking place here in this city? And we don't want to see 3,000 saved or 6,000 or even 12,000. We want to see more than 20,000 saved in a day. For Christ Jesus. Wouldn't that be something? When we come back, I'm going to let Billy Graham tell you himself. He was here in 1973. I have a clip from that sermon. I think it'll bless you today. Don't go away. You're listening to the New John Simmons Show, part of the Testimony House Network. John Simmons Show is part of the Testimony House Network. To learn more about the network or to watch other network programs, please visit TestimonyHouse.org. Now, here's the new John Simmons. Welcome back to the program, everybody. New John Simmons Show, part of the Testimony House Network. Don't forget to visit NewJohnSimmons.com to stay up to date with everything that we do, from pictures to past shows to video All of that stuff is available on our website, as well as our resource, Finding Faith, newjohnsimmons.com. We've been talking about Billy Graham all day. He's passed away today. He was 99 years old. He's touched more than 210 million lives. 
but he's also touched a lot of us right here in St. Louis. It was a while back. It was 1973, but Billy Graham came to St. Louis. He spoke to over 240,000 people and more than 6,000 people gave their lives to Jesus at one of these events. I want to show a clip with you guys from right here, his trip to St. Louis, the words of Billy Graham himself. It'll help us remember what a great speaker he was and how he'll be remembered. Here's Billy Graham at the Keel Auditorium or the uh, the family arena. What was it called? The St. Louis Arena uh, in 1973. Tonight I'm going to ask that we bow in prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed in prayer. During the message, which will be brief, I hope that you will prayerfully consider your relationship with God and with our Lord Jesus Christ. The most important moment of your life may be in the next 30 minutes. You may never have another moment like this when your heart is so drawn and so spoken to and so tender toward God. Almost everyone that I'm talking to tonight has problems and burdens and sins, loneliness, emptiness, fear, sickness in the family, and almost everyone is searching for something. And some of you don't know what you're searching for. Jesus said, I am the truth. I'm the embodiment of all truth. The thing that you're really searching for, that you think you could find in another marital experience or drugs, the thing you're really searching for is Jesus Christ. He meets the deepest needs of every life, and he can meet your need. Shall we pray? Our Father, we pray that thou wouldst come and meet our need tonight. We pray that thou wouldst meet us where we are. We know that thou wilt accept us just as we are. If by faith we turn and just simply say, Lord, remember me as the thief did on the cross. For we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are in St. Louis, Missouri. And this is the beautiful St. Louis Arena. One of the most beautiful arenas in the United States and certainly one of the largest. It's larger than Madison Square Garden in New York City. That's how big it is. And it's been packed to capacity every night since we have been here and overflowing, as you have already heard. And many hundreds of people have been coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And you know, you have to come to St. Louis to get a little bit of the spirit of this city. This is a magnificent city in a wonderful state, the state of Missouri. I don't guess there's a state in America that is more typical of America, and you come here to Missouri and you have great confidence and hope in the future of America. You are a wonderful people here in the state of Missouri. Now tonight I want you to turn with me to the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon. Now that comes right after Ecclesiastes, if you're turning in your Bible, and just before Isaiah. It's a short book of only eight short chapters, but one of the most thrilling and one of the most interesting books in all the Bible. 
Some people uh, have accused it of being a sex book. And in some of the pornographic trials that have taken place, they often point to the Song of Solomon and say that this book could be considered pornographic. Of course, nothing could be further from the truth. But this book is very explicit. It's the, a thrilling and wonderful story of love, of married love, and the intimacies of married love. And tonight I want to speak primarily to young people and their parents on the subject of love and on the subject of falling in love and your relationship with your parents and your relationship with your children and your relationship with your neighbor as it concerns love. What is love? I suppose the most misused word in all the English language is the word love. And in our generation, I don't think we have very much comprehension at all about what love really is all about. You know, a young person says, I'm in love. What do they mean? I'm falling in love. Or I love this ring, or I love this sweater, or I love this dress, or I made love last night. We use the same word to describe all kinds of things. It's very much like thank you. You know, a person can give you a lifetime of comradeship and friendship and you say, thank you. Or someone gives you a cup of coffee and you say, thank you. You don't have a stronger word in the English language. And the English language is quite a limited language in many ways in comparison to some of the other languages of the world. And the word love is one of those words that is misunderstood and misused so much today. And I want to talk about that, if I might, a few minutes tonight. And in the last chapter, I'm reading from the Living Bible, the last chapter of the book of the Song of Solomon, the girl or the young bride in this book, it's the story of Solomon and his bride, a Shulamite woman, and by the way, a black woman. This woman here was a black woman. She says several times that she's black. And she was considered the most beautiful woman of her day. And she was Solomon's wife. And in this book is the conversation between King Solomon and his wife as they discuss their married love together and the ecstasy of this love. The thrill, the depth, the breadth, and the height of this love is tremendous. And we believe as Christians that it's a metaphor, or it's a parable, or it's a story of the love that Christ has for the church. And the Hebrews, the Jews, believed that it's the story of God's love affair with Israel. And there are differences of opinion among theologians about it. But certainly both could be true. It's the story of God's love affair with the human race. The story of God's love for those who love him. Whether they're Jew or whether they're Christian. Or whoever they may be. And it goes into the very depths of love. And it tells us how much God loves us. 
and how much we are to love him. And in this passage, the bride is speaking and she says, love is strong as death and jealousy is as cruel as hell. It flashes fire, the very flame of God. Many waters cannot quench the flame of this love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man tried to buy it with everything he owned, he couldn't do it. Here was a love that money cannot buy. Here's a love that sorrows and problems and difficulties and temptations cannot destroy. Here's a love that the trials that come in every marriage could not destroy. And money couldn't buy it. That's the kind of love that Solomon and his bride had for each other. Do you love that way? The whole world is following the story of Captain Mark Phillips and Princess Anne who are going to soon get married and everybody loves a love story. Eric Segel wrote that book, Love Story, and he was quoted in the press as saying, I've never really been in love myself. But you know, the whole Bible is a love story. It's God's love affair with the human race. And God loves every person in the whole world with a love. God loves everybody in the whole wide world. It is a love story. The Bible is a love story. And it's what God did for us when he sent his son to die for us on the cross. In fact, John 3.16 often quoted, God loved us so much that he did what, John? He gave. He gave his only son. He gave something. Love is about giving something. It is a verb, as Billy Graham said in this in this message, right here in St. Louis in 1973, saying that St. Louis has a wonderful spirit about it, believing that this city is a great representation of America as a whole. Let us all continue to do this with our lives by being a Christian nation that seeks after God's plan for our lives. You know, Billy Graham, he's left a legacy of following God's sentence for his life. If only we could all find ourselves being just as impactful to the body of Christ, not necessarily trying to achieve what he's achieved, but seeing ourselves, however God sees us, as an arm, as a leg, as an eye, as a strand of hair. God has a place for us in the body of Christ. But we must lay down our lives, give up our lives, the way we want to do things, the way we want to see our lives progress and pick up the life that God has for us. Now you might say, well, I don't want to do that. Well, here's the thing. Ephesians 2.10 says we were created by God to do good works through Christ Jesus, which he prepared in advance for us to do. The plans that God has for you, you may say, well, I don't want to do what he wants me to do. He created you. So that if you chose his plans, he would create the perfect thing for your life, the thing that would bring you more joy, more satisfaction, more wholeness. As Billy Graham started to say in the beginning of this message, this idea that so many of us are walking around feeling like there's something more, and we don't know what that something more is. Billy Graham says it's Jesus, and I would have to agree. God can use each one of us to share the gospel message with our lives Billy Graham, of course, a great example of this. But now that he's gone, it's going to be up to us, you and me, to pick up the light and continue to shine it through our lives today. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show. Billy Graham will be missed. 
but he will not be forgotten. Hopefully, the rest of us can find Christ in our lives and begin to follow God's sentence for our lives. Thank you, Curtis, behind the boards. Thank you, everybody, for streaming on Facebook, and we will see you tomorrow. Until then, we pray you discover a future and a hope for your life today. Thanks for listening to the new John Simmons Show, part of the Testimony House Network. To replay this episode or listen to past episodes, look for the new John Simmons Show podcast on your mobile device. Stay connected to the show. Read the latest news, blog posts, and see behind-the-scenes photos by following at New John Simmons on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you would like to learn more about how you can begin to write God's sentence for your life, or join a growing community of people who are finding passion, vision, and faith for their lives, please visit NewJohnSimmons.com. Until next time, we pray you discover a future and a hope for your life today.